Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. I want to I wanna teach you a word this morning, okay? Um, this is a word that I grew up with in church. I grew up in church. Uh, I was born on a Sunday morning. My mom was ironing clothes to go to Sunday school. Um, I, I joke with her and, and kid her that, that she actually stopped at the church so the ladies of the church could lay hands on her and pray for her when she went to the hospital. Because, I'm not joking, every time I went to the doctor, it was like the, the, there's a prayer meeting called at the church and, and we all met and prayed for each other. It was, it, was, it was fun growing up in a very small town like that. But, um, but we used this word growing up in, in the church that I grew up in. It was a, it was a charismatic Pentecostal kind of church. And, and when the preacher would start preaching, you would hear this word echoed throughout the sanctuary or auditorium. And, and it's a little short four-letter four word, but it's not an ugly four-letter word. It's, it's actually a really good four-letter word. And I want to teach you the word, and I want to encourage you to say this word. If, if I say something, or on another week, if, a, if the speaker or preacher says something that really you know, speaks to your heart or really speaks to you or, or you really agree with it, okay? So here's the words. Real easy. It goes like this. Amen. <laughs> All right, okay, on the count of three, everybody say amen together. One, two, three. Amen. There we go. Now, like I said, I, I want you to use that word, okay? So you see or something, and, and you're just like, man, that was good. Amen. You can even stand up. If you have a Bible with you, you can even stand up and lay. Oh, I saw somebody's got a white cloth. You can, amen, right? All right, there we go. Because listen, y'all, it gets kind of lonely up here. Um, I can't, you know, the, what you don't see is that those lights, they really shoot in our eyes. And, and I can't see the facial expression that you have on. And so I don't know if you're asleep or, or completely mad or, or you're really rocking with it. Even if you nod your head, we can't really see that. So I need you to, you know, help me out. I promise you this. If you'll do that, I'll preach better. And, this, see, I didn't even, this will get a response. I'll preach shorter. See, there we go. All right, here we go. Today we're in week two of a series called Now Showing. Uh, we're doing this series throughout the summer. This is week two. We got about nine weeks. Originally, we had planned a four-week series, uh, but... But as God continued to just reveal things in Scripture, it just continued to grow and grow. And we said, man, let's scrap the whole summer and do this. It seems like God's really taking us on a, on a journey through the Bible. And it's going to be really, really cool. And the, the way that we're doing this is we're taking these, these passages all throughout the Bible. We started in Genesis. We'll end in Acts um, come uh, sometime in August. And we're looking at the, the passage, but we're not looking at necessarily, you know, asking the questions like, did this really happen? Um, was there a real guy named Noah with a big boat? You know, we're not asking those kinds of questions, as in, is this historically valid? Well, the question that we're wrestling with is, is, what does the story say about God? What does this story reveal to us about who he is? And, and every story that we're going to look at, there's a, at least one question that gets asked in the story. Last week, we looked at a story where there were three questions. Today, we got two questions that we're going to look at. And so I want to encourage you as much as you can, be here this summer because it's really good stuff. If you have to miss, go on a vacation, that's awesome. Hopefully, if you can, you, you get a go on one this year. Uh, some people don't take them in the summer, and that's cool too. We live at the beach, and so, well, almost. 
Anyway, you know what I'm saying. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can open it up there. That's where we're going to be at today. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be on the, the screens behind us. Um, the story we're going to look at today involves three main characters. Uh, four, if you include God. God's kind of the character in every story that we're looking at. It includes a guy named Abram. His wife, Sarai, now their names hadn't been changed yet. Eventually, they'll become Abraham and Sarah. You may be familiar with that if you went to vacation Bible school as a kid or went to Sunday school as a kid. You might have heard of Abraham and Sarah. This is before their name gets changed. Right now, they're Abram and Sarai. And, and this, this lady named Hagar. We're going to look at her and then, of course, God. And so here we go. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And in that culture, that was a huge dishonor. For her to have not have conceived a child, and if you were here last week, Vertical Church, we're conceiving some children. Seriously. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is a great dishonor for her. Sarai would have, would have not been looked upon very highly in her community because she had not borne any children. And it says she had a female Egyptian servant, which is really a, a a polite way of saying slave, which is funny because eventually the Abram's children would be slaves to the Egyptians, but here they have Egyptian slaves. Uh, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Hagar was a slave girl. In, in this culture and in this day, she had no rights. It's the, slavery hasn't changed much over the course of the centuries and millennia, okay? If you're a slave, you have no rights. You are that person's possession. You belong. So Hagar belonged to Sarai as a, as a possession, much like, you know, this phone belongs to me. That's how she would have been treated. Most likely somewhere along the way she was purchased. And so, so she comes into this situation, catch this, not by her own choice, okay? All of the stuff that we're going to read about Hagar today is not really her own choice, she was just kind of thrust into this thing. She's a slave girl. She was sold. And so verse 2 continues the story, and it says, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. It's exactly what you think it says is what she's saying. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Verse 3, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And I said, does it sound like she has much of a choice here? And, and you know, that's the way our lives go sometimes, okay? There, there are circumstances that you and I get ourselves into that are by our own choice. We, we choose to go a certain way. We choose to do a certain thing. We choose to hang around a certain group of people. And then there are other times when the circumstance seems like it chooses you. And it feels like there are times in our lives where it feels like the situation we've gotten ourselves into, we had no choice. It was just kind of thrust upon us. We were just kind of placed into the awkward situation and the difficult situation, which is exactly what Hagar has here. She was taken and given to Abram. She was taken by her master and given to her master's husband. Verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. 
when she saw that she had conceived, now look what happened. She looked with contempt on her mistress. Now, remember what I said. Sarai would have been very dishonored in the community because she had no children. And now Hagar is pregnant. She has conceived. So what, when it says she looked with contempt, what it means is she considered herself to be in a privileged position. She has given a child to Abram, but yet she still has to submit to Sarai, even though she has not born any children. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's why she is struggling with this. That's why she looks with content, because she says, look, I did for, for Abram what you could not do, and yet I still have to submit, and I resent that. You know what this tells me? This tells me that in this story, everybody is at, at fault for the dysfunction here. Look, you think you got a dysfunctional family? You think that when you go to your family reunion and you got to hang out with crazy Uncle Al who always, you know, sits in the recliner and, and watches some, like, you know, weird movie from 1973, you know what I'm saying? Like that uncle, okay? You ain't got nothing on Abram. You don't have any... These people are in the Bible, okay? You know, we always lift up, you know, we want to... <laughs> we want biblical values. Really? Like, seriously? I don't know about that. I don't know about being Abram. I don't, I don't want, you know, this. This is dysfunctional. This is dysfunction on a level that we don't get. Look at what happens. And, and it continues, man. This is just like something out of a talk show. Verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, remember it was her idea, May the wrong done to me on, be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you, between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. He's like, look, I got what I need. I got a child. Like, do whatever you want in the situation. And look what happens. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You know what this reminds me of? Now, I'm not saying that I've ever actually watched an episode of this show, but perhaps maybe when I was younger and watched stuff that maybe didn't have the greatest moral capacity and moral value. This reminds me of a Jerry Springer episode. Anybody in the, anybody in the room identify with that? Like, I'm, you don't have to admit that you've seen it. And, if, and, you know, I'm not admitting that I've seen an episode, but I'm just telling you that previews and commercials, this makes me, it's, it's like, here's what happens, Okay. You know, Jerry brings out Hagar, and she sits on the stage. And, and we hear her story, how, how, you know, she's Abram's other wife, although his initial wife, like, set her up with her husband, okay? Weird. Then we bring out Sarai, and she sits, and of course they got to fight a couple times. But then we find out that Sarai actually, again, she's the one who set up Abram and he, she set up her husband with this other woman and she like booked the honeymoon suite at the fancy motel for them to go you know what I'm saying like this is what comes out in the episode and then Abram walks out and then the whole place erupts and people start fighting and Hagar runs off the stage okay like like literally that's that's what I that's what I read I promise I've never seen an episode at all in my life but major major dysfunction major dysfunction these people could could uh, employ a therapist for the rest of their life, okay, to work through this, this stuff going on. But look what happens here, verse 7. 
Here's where we really want to focus on, in on the story. Because here's, here's what I, I really believe the Lord's going to speak to us today from here on. Verse 7. The angel, so, so Hagar's left. She's taken off. She's on the run. All right? The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. And look where the angel of the Lord found her. In the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. Remember that word I taught you to say earlier? Amen. Here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you a question. If, if you know just instinctively, like, like I don't have to define it, I don't have to, have to describe it, but you would say, Pastor Josh, I know metaphorically the meaning of the wilderness. Would you say amen? Like we just know. Like I, we don't have to define it. It's just, man, I know what it's like to be in a desert place. I know what it's like to be in the wilderness in life where everything's dry and I'm on the run and nothing's making sense and everything's confusing. I know what that's like. You know, we all do. It doesn't even have to, we don't have to describe it. We just know instinctively. We just know. But here's something that we do as Christians. And if you're not a Christian in this room, maybe you don't do this. Maybe you have a better grasp of this than those of us in the room that are. But, but here's what we, is what so many of us do so many times. We assume that the wilderness, because it's tough and because it's difficult and because it's dry and because it's like a desert feeling, we assume that the wilderness is always bad. We assume that the wilderness is always a bad thing. We assume that the wilderness is never positive. It's never good. It's, it's always negative. But, but the thing about the wilderness, especially in the Bible, the thing about the desert is that it's multidimensional. Like, yes, you get stories in Scripture of like the children of Israel who have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience. You get that story. But you also get the story of Jesus and Luke who gets sent into the wilderness, catch this, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. He didn't do anything wrong. He hadn't sinned. He hadn't disobeyed God. And yet the Holy Spirit finds it necessary to lead Jesus into the desert place. We find stories in scriptures of, of prophets who, who go into the wilderness for, for clarity and perspective. And so the wilderness is all kind, has all kinds of of layers and all kinds of dimensions, ways that, that we get taken into the wilderness because of disobedience. And then there are times it seems like God himself is leading us to this dry and desert-like place. It's not always a bad thing to be in the wilderness. In fact, there are some very particular things that God can do in your life only in the wilderness. There are things in our lives, there are ways that he shapes us, there are ways that he can mold us, there are ways that he can transform us that only take place in the wilderness. Like they, they don't take place when times are good and when you're, when you're in the city and you've got all the, the resources around you. There are things in our lives that God can only do in us in the wilderness, in the desert. When everything else around us is dried up, 
It's my own personal discovery that in my own life, it's only in the wilderness can God speak certain things. Therefore, this is what I think about the wilderness. The wilderness is actually a place that we return to time and time again. You see, we have this idea that the wilderness, like, like our journey is linear, that, that we're just on this, on this linear path and progression. But what I've discovered in my own life in reading scripture is that it's more cyclical than that. Like, like we go into the wilderness and we come out of the wilderness. There are times in our lives where, where we're in the desert and then there are times in our lives when we're, we're, we're in an oasis. There are times in our lives when, when, when we experience failure and isolation, and then there are times in our lives when we experience success. There are times in our lives that no matter how much we pray and fast and, and, and seek God and read the Bible, we can't hear from God at all. And then there are other times in lives you don't have to pray, fast, read, nothing. It's just God is speaking to you every day. And we go through these, these times when, when it doesn't really make sense we think we should be able to hear from God, but we can't, and then we're not even trying, and bam, he's hitting us upside the head. And, and I think, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think that's the way God designed it. Because there are things in our lives that he can work in us and out of us that only take place in the wilderness. And so I believe his plan for us always includes the wilderness, which means it doesn't matter if you get there by disobedience or you get there by being led by the Holy Spirit. When you're there, he's got a plan for you. When you're there, it doesn't matter if the circumstance is something you chose or something you got thrust into you. When you're in the wilderness, he'll meet you there. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he will meet you there because that's how he designed it. When I was growing up in church, like I told you when we started, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church. Uh, very, very charismatic, people like running around. You, you had to have like traffic directors, okay? If, you, if you've never been in a Pentecostal church, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you grew up like in a, never mind, we'll go on. Um, but in, in my culture, we had this phrase, you know, and it would come out in different ways. That it would be something like, you know, you'd hear somebody say, you know, um, I'm, I really feel like I'm going to the next level going to the next level. Or, this was the real spiritual one, I feel like I've walked into a new anointing. You know? That's cool. It's like, it's like levels of a video game. You know? I feel like I have leveled up. And now that I have leveled up and I've got this new perspective, life will never be the same. Like, I've walked into this new anointing and my eyes have been opened and I will never doubt God again. Which consequently, I never experienced that. Like, like, I've talked that way, you know, Super Mario Brothers, hey, I beat World 1, now I'm in World 2, I've, I've conquered this temptation, now I've moved on to World 3, where I get 99 extra lives by jumping on the turtle, okay? You don't, if you ain't played Super Mario, come on. Here's what I, okay, can I, can I just be honest? Just being vulnerable, completely honest. Here's how life works for me. It's like, it's like I make it to level 3, Okay, I go from level one to level three, and then I get knocked right back down to level two. I, I, go from, I go from level two, and then I take this huge step, and I'm on like level 17, and then the next week I find myself like negative two. <laughs> like I go backwards. And, and what, what's going on? It's because, it's because God always takes us through the wilderness to continue working 
things out. You see, sometimes the way we describe the, the, the life of a Christian, we describe it in this, in this continually getting better and better and higher and higher. And if that's you, man, praise God, I'm so happy for you. But my life, like the greatest highs come, come uh, the, the thing that comes right after the greatest highs are the greatest lows. Because, because this might sound like real, real deep and all, but I don't think you can appreciate the view from the mountain until you've spent some time in the valley. I don't, there we go, we got it rocking now. See, I, it's, 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 you don't know how high you can go until you get low. You, you don't know how low you can go until you get high, which sounds like a Cheech and Chong reference. You, you can't fully, here we go, we'll get back on track. You can't fully enjoy a river of life until you've spent some time in the desert. And so we continually cycle back through, back into and out of the wilderness place. And the problem is, though, we don't really understand the wilderness. We don't really understand the purpose of the wilderness. In fact, we spend too much time trying to figure out the purpose of the wilderness. We spend too much time, time trying to figure out why we are in the wilderness, which is a totally unproductive question. Like, it didn't even matter why you're in the wilderness. And I know that sounds weird and sounds like, who says that? But, but think about this. What difference will it make if you know why you're there? Will it make the wilderness any easier? It's like, it's like, well, man, this, this, this desert was really, you know, just terrible and awful, and I was tired and thirsty, but then I found out why I was here, and now it's just great, you know? It's like, no, it didn't work that way. It, it, finding out why doesn't really solve anything for us. In fact, it, sometimes we try to find out why so that we can get ourselves out, but the catch about the wilderness is that you didn't get yourself in there, and so you can't get yourself out. Like when God has done what he needs to do in your life in the wilderness, he'll get you out. Like he'll just get you out. All of a sudden, there'll just be a way. All of a sudden, there'll just be a path cleared. All of a sudden, there'll just be a river flowing through the middle of the desert. You know, because that's what God, God takes us to these places so he can do something in us. And we're always trying to figure out how to get out. And what God's doing is like, no, I want to get something in you. And you want to get out of the place that I want to work something in your life. And, and so we just struggle with that. And so the objective is not to get out of the wilderness. The objective is to find out what God wants for us in the wilderness. The objective is to have an encounter with God, which is exactly what Hagar has. Verse, uh, verse 7 again. Look at this. The angel of the Lord found her. And where did he find her? By a spring of water in the wilderness. Now, this journey would have probably killed her. She was probably headed trying to escape back to Egypt. She was trying to get back to her, her homeland, and, and she takes this journey that takes her through this wilderness, deserted uh, road where there are, there are marauders and there are wild animals and there's just the elements, and she's all alone with no resources and no, no water, no nothing. And God finds her. You know, the angel of the Lord phrase, you know, scholars say that that's not really an angel there. That's probably actually a pre-incarnate uh, Jesus there encountering Hagar. That that's Jesus um, um, encountering her, the Son of God. And so he asks her, God asks her two questions. Look at this. This is so cool. Verse 8. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. And here's the two questions we're going to look at today. Where have you come from? And where are you going? 
Where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm convinced that these two questions are questions that can only be answered in the wilderness. Question number one, where have you come from? Now, if you meet somebody for the first time, odds are when you meet them, you're going to ask them first, hey, what's your name? Well, my name is, you know, Jack Smith. Well, Jack, where are you from? Well, I'm from blank. Why? Because, because when we ask somebody, where, are you, where do you come from? What we're really asking is, is, look, I know your name, but now if you'll tell me where you're from, I'll know so much more about you. I'll learn so much about your identity when I learn where you're from. And so it's a, it's a fancy or a, you know, a sly way of actually saying, okay, now, what's your name and who are you? Like, what's your identity? Where, where have you come from? It's a question that looks back at all the past experiences that have shaped and molded who you are in that moment. Where have you come from? Tell me about your past that has now shaped who you see yourself as today. God asks Hagar, Hagar, where have you come from? Tell me what, what past experiences are affecting who you are, your identity. But what happens is, is when that question gets asked in the wilderness, which has reduced us to a complete dependence upon God, that's what the wilderness will do. It will, it will make us desperate, which will then always, always, always lead to an encounter with God. And when we allow ourselves to, to, to cry out in desperation in the wilderness, no matter how we've gotten there, no matter whether it was by choice or by circumstance, our identity is something God always deals with. Where have you come from? Who are you? Who are you? It's a question that's only answered after spending some time in the wilderness. What God wants to happen is, is in that place with the, with the wilderness driving all of that fake stuff out of your life and, and you can lay your real authentic self before him. The wilderness has a way of stripping all of that lack of authenticity off of us. Like when we're not in the wilderness, we can just put up the, 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 the nice face. We can put up the, the shield and, and keep everybody else out. But the wilderness has a way of grinding that arrogance and pride right out of us so that we stand before God when he meets us in the wilderness and he says, where have you come from? Who are you? We say, God. <clears throat> and that's exactly what she does. Look what happens. Second part of verse eight. She said, look how she identifies herself. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. You see, there's a good way of identifying yourself, which, which we'll come back to, because God's going to identify her here in just a second. But what we find out is she is she's experiencing bad identity. And here's what bad identity is. When you identify yourself by your wounds and by your hurts and by rejection and by fear and by all the people who have hurt you, when you identify yourself by that, that's not good. That's not healthy. And so many people are stuck in the past. They're stuck in the, in the wounds and the, and the pain and the fear because they're trapped there. Because they're, they're, they're holding on to the, the wound and the rejection and, and the hurt. And the wilderness is the only place that will force you to let that junk go. The wilderness will force you to deal with your own brokenness. 
because it'll strip all that fake stuff away until you're left with, with, your, with your woundedness and brokenness before God. And God says, where have you come from? Tell me about that because I'm going to deal with that. And look what God does. Look what he says. He says, verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. In other words, he says, deal with the junk. Deal with the wounds. Deal with the hurt. Deal with the rejection. Deal with it, because that's not who you are. And look what he says. This is so, oh, I hope you get this. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. So he says, he says, look, you just identified yourself by the wounds and hurts of the past. You need to scratch that. You need to deal with that, because I will. You see what I'm saying? I will multiply. I will identify you. I will mark you. You can let that junk go in the past because I will define your present. I will multiply your offspring. I will bless you so that your number cannot be numbered. He, he, he deals with, he says, deal with that junk. Deal with your hurt. Deal with your wounds. I'm here for you, but I will be the identifying mark on your life, not what Sarai did to you. I will deal with that. I will multiply. I will identify. I will mark. And then he says this. This is awesome. Let's go back verse 2 or question 2. Where are you going? So the first question is a question of identity. Who are you? Where have you come from? What is the thing that is, that is marking your life? But question 2 is a question about vision and direction. Where have you come from? And where are you going? You see, one of the reasons, these two questions are so connected. And one of the reasons people identify themselves with the rejection and the pain of the past is because they have no idea the answer to question number two. Where are you going? What's the future look like? And what happens is that we tend to glorify the past when the future dries up. When, when we don't have a picture of, of where we're going, the only thing we have to hold on to is the hurt from the past. And so we're stuck there and we're trapped there. And the difference, look at this, the difference between where you are and where God wants to take you is the wilderness that you're willing to endure to deal with that stuff. And the potential of your life in every area of your life is equal to the wilderness that you're willing to encounter God in. So that he can speak identity into your life and he can speak vision into your life. He can, he can help you deal with the stuff that's holding you back and he can propel you into a new future. You see, it's in the wilderness. This is the thing that we don't always grasp about the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that our identity is forged in ways that nothing else can do it for us. And it's in the wilderness when we meet with God that the vision and purpose and calling for our life is determined and set forth in ways that nothing else can do. You know, I, what I think is really interesting is that God doesn't ask her anything about the present. Because when you're in the wilderness, you know you're there. It's like, look, I know where I'm at right now. It's not hard to recognize right now. And the, the key is not recognizing or understanding the wilderness. The key, again, is being open to a God who wants to meet you in the wilderness in the dry place, in such a way that he will forge and solidify who you are and where you're going. We might, we might say it this way. The purpose of the wilderness is to see him and be seen by him, which, ironically enough, is exactly how Hagar describes the wilderness. 
Look at what she says. We're going to jump down to verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who sees me. I've seen him who sees me. Isn't that so awesome? I've seen him. I, I, I've seen him who sees me. The purpose of God for you in the wilderness is to see him, to meet him, to encounter him, and be seen by him. And when you're seen by God, your identity, your purpose, your vision, your direction, he sets that in motion. He forges those things. So the question I would ask you this morning, where have you come from? What in your past hurts and wounds, ways that you've been rejected, that you're holding on to that are identifying and marking your life? I believe God would say to you, deal with it because I will mark your life. I will identify you. Here's what I'm going to do in your life. And then the second question is, where are you going? What, what's the vision for your life? What is God speaking to you about your future? Because, because if you don't have a future, if you don't have a, 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 a purpose, if, you, if you're not following God into the future, and you're not hearing His voice pull you into something new, something different, a, a, a new place or, or a, a, a vision of who he wants to make you and who he wants you to become, then you just get stuck in the past. But when you get those two questions answered in the wilderness, then you get out of the wilderness. But you'll get back. You'll come back. Because God always sends his favorite people into the wilderness. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we come into this place in all sorts of different situations. Some of us, God, maybe we just got out of the wilderness and we really identify knowing that you've spoken and dealt with things that couldn't be dealt with in other ways. Some of us, God, today we walked into this place right smack dab in the wilderness. And this really hits home. Ways that we have identified ourselves by our hurt and pain and rejection and have been in, unable to move forward. Others of us, God, in the next couple of weeks, we're about to walk into a wilderness and we don't even see it right now. But you're about to take us into that place again because you're going to deal with some things in our heart and in our lives. You're going to strip away all the inauthenticity that surrounds us so that you can deal with our true self. Lord, I pray that we would just meet you there. In fact, while we're praying, I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and Get, get ready and make yourselves available. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.